Omar, it got me thinking this week based on um, a really good piece um, by Matt Slater in The Athletic, obviously in the the build-up now to the the playoff final this weekend, um, Brentford versus Swansea, um, and and also the fact that actually you had a really interesting um, conversation or Twitter conversation with Matt around various elements of... um, the 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 merits or otherwise of uh, parachute payments, um, whether they are healthy for the Premier League, whether they were less so for the the Championship, and the sort of incentives and rationales for them, uh, and by way of solidarity more generally, I guess. And I I I, I guess if you're able, maybe just for people that maybe don't know too much about parachute payments, just by way of brief intro to the topic, and then we obviously can get into a bit more of the detail. Um, the, the the rationale from the Premier League as to why parachute payments are provided um, and in what circumstances they actually occur? Yeah, so as you said, Matt, I think summarised it really well in the athletic piece. Um, but parachute payments aren't just a thing that exists within English football. They, exist, they actually exist across European football, uh, they, you know, across the, the big five leagues and other leagues as well. Uh, and the idea is, you know, obviously, if you get relegated... Um, there is a big drop or big gap between how much a Premier League team earns from broadcast money and how much a championship team earns from broadcast money. So the playoff final is often billed as the £100 million or or greater match. Um, It's actually probably worth uh, closer to probably about £200 uh, in guaranteed revenues. And that is in part because of parachute payments. So you earn about £100 a bit more as the the bottom-place Premier League club uh, and then you earn parachute payments as you um, upon relegation. Uh, and the rationale, which Matt explained really well in the athletic piece, was that, or at least previously, it used to be around the fact that clubs, when they are relegated, they're relegated with Premier League wage bills. And even though you have uh, uh, kind of uh, relegation salary cuts, um, typically ranging in the kind of 30 to 60% range, uh, it's still not sufficient to kind of soften the blow of of relegation Uh, and so the idea is to provide parachute payments in order to soften that blow and and enable clubs to not be running massive losses in the in the championship when they're uh, when they're relegated Um, but interestingly one of the the points that that made in the article was the Premier League have since described it more as a kind of confidence boost for, for clubs that are promoted so it's more You've been promoted. We recognise that as a promoted club, you're probably one of the five favourites to get relegated. We don't want you to behave like you're one of the five favourites to get relegated. We want you to behave like you are, you know, a club that um, is a Premier League club and uh, and you know can compete with other Premier League clubs at the, in the mid table and even top of the league. And so, you know, don't be afraid to invest because if you go down, you'll have this money instead. And the big debate is. A, whether that's a kind of rational argument or whether that's actually true. And then B, what's the what's the effect on um, on the championship? Um, out of interest, Dan, one of the kind of curiosities, I suppose, of parachute payments is that is Premier League giving championship money, giving money to championship clubs. Is that, um, I guess the Premier League can kind of, or any league can give money to whoever they want, even if they sit outside a different league. Um, obviously, the championship and themselves often want that money distributed across a wider set of clubs but the Premier League chooses to give it to a very small set of clubs 
Yeah, and I think the other thing worthwhile, you know, thinking about there is is that it it does form the part of what the the Premier League says is you know their wider solidarity play, which is you know significant um, across all the leagues as to how. Um, the EFL then distributes it across their championship, League One and, and League Two clubs. Obviously, less less money goes to League Two than it would to a normal championship club. Um, and, you know, I, I, was, I was actually giving this some thought um, pre and post Matt's piece as well, because, you know, I think, I think it's important just to set it in a little bit of context as well, because... Um, you know the parachute payments as they currently are are are, are pretty significant. In in Matt's piece, he basically explains how um, in the eighteen nineteen season, um, although there's a little bit of a difficult calculation as to um, percentages of what um, central distributions actually are received by Premier League clubs, that the, the distributions basically equate to. Um, over ninety million pounds, um, and that's split according to how many seasons you're in the, the the Premier League. But if you're in for more than one season, um, you get three let sets of payments. Um, you quite quite front loaded in the truth. So, um, uh, it it tends to be according to the piece around forty three million pounds plus for the first season. You're no longer in the um, Premier League and been relegated. Thirty five million for the second season, and then sixteen million for the third season. There's the caveat, obviously, that if if you as a relegated club go immediately back up, you don't retain or you don't you're not entitled to any subsequent parachute payment monies. And in that instance, which is an interesting little caveat as well, Omar, my understanding is that those payments or those potential payments get recycled within the Premier League clubs rather than get distributed to the other parachute clubs or even the, the, the EFL. So there are a few sort of nuances um, nuances within that. So if we take it, I'm not sure whether it's worth our taking it bottom up or top down, but, you know, I guess the, 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 the summary arguments from my perspective was you obviously, the Premier League um, entity wants um, its members to be able to compete. So um, you want to almost feel that the clubs almost want to feel that they've got that safety net um, of being able to spend significantly to be competitive whilst in the league, but also to be able to have the safety net um, uh, should they immediately get relegated. And then obviously the the flip side of that is um, the 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 EFL and that some championship clubs feel that that then is um, you know by way of significant hindrance for the the competitive balance and gives quite a lot of competitive advantage to those parachute slash yo yo clubs that are constantly in the the mix for automatic promotion and playoffs um, for the seasons that they're not necessarily in the Premier League which obviously potentially skews um, th- that type of competition. Are there particular nuances, Omar, that you'd like to go in either way on on that side? Yeah, so I, I'll put my cards on the table. I the the, the piece that we're referring to in the Athletic was was critical of of parachute payments. I see them as a bit of a necessary evil, hence the name of um, this space. I think um, for, for a couple of reasons. So I think the argument around it giving clubs confidence to invest is a legitimate one. Um, you know, your clubs are coming up with. A championship squad, and particularly, you know, if you think of Brentford and Swansea in the playoff final, um, both of whom are without parachute payments. I think I'm right in saying that uh, Swansea were relegated. This Swansea's, it's probably Swansea last season actually had parachute payments. Uh, if I've done my maths right, but um, in general, clubs coming up with you know championship squads, and they need to be able to 
compete with Premier League teams. And whilst there is an overlap between the Premier League and Championship, probably more than what people realise in terms of quality, um, as we've seen with Leeds, for example, this year, you know, they they have a lot of players that you would probably consider mostly to be Championship players, but Bielsa has obviously turned them into a really competitive Premier League team. But on the whole, I think clubs do need to be able to invest. And, you know, I would pose the question, would, would Leicester City winning the title in 15-16 uh, have happened without parachute payments? Um, and it might seem a bit of a stretch and, and it might seem a bit of a um, tangential argument or a kind of um, tenuous argument, rather. Um, but, you know, would, would Leicester have gone out of their way to spend huge wages on Esteban Cambiasso when they when they signed him um, you know signed Andre Kramerich as they did in that uh, in that first January window uh, would they have done that if they had thought that going down to the championship was a death sentence they might not have done they might have been relegated uh, they might have decided actually it's not worth spending this money because you know we're going to be in you know massive financial trouble if we were to go down with with these kind of players on the wage bill um as it was, you know, Leicester stayed up and then they, they went and won the league the following season. And look, it, I, I get that might some people might see that as a bit of a stretch argument, but I don't think it's totally unreasonable. And the fact that we do have teams coming up that are pretty competitive in the Premier League on the whole um, is, I think, possibly and probably testament to, to parachute payments. Um, and then there's the other side of, of the coin, which is the championship. Um, and I totally get the reservations that exist in the championship you know instinctively these clubs are going down as you said with 45 35 ish million in parachute payments over the first and second years that's a lot more money than a championship club would be getting from tv money which i think the average tv money for a non-championship club is something in the region of two to five million um, so you're talking about potentially 10 times more money um uh, uh, broadcast money for a parachute payment club clearly that is a huge advantage, but we shouldn't um, shouldn't conflate um, resources that clubs have necessarily to on-field capability, because a lot of these times these clubs are getting relegated with Premier League wage bills, um, and the, the quality of the players isn't necessarily higher than the Championship players. They just happen to be paying them um, paying them a lot more money in a lot of cases, um, and so whilst parachute payments. Um, teams do tend to do better than those without parachute payments. We might have expected those teams to do better anyway, because you know the clubs that get promoted for the championship will, will tend to be bigger clubs in the championship. You know, you're more likely to see a Leeds or Aston Villa or Forest or whoever get promoted from the championship than a uh, I don't know a Rotherham or a um, uh, a Wickham as an example. So you would expect teams that come back down from the Premier League to finish higher anyway. Um, and then even more interestingly, which I think is a key data point for me, is that the amount of teams that are bouncing back up to the Premier League after relegation within two years of their relegation has actually been falling over the last 20 years. So if you go back to the, um, the mid to late 90s, roughly 50% of teams that were getting relegated from the Premier League were coming back within two years. Nowadays, it's much closer to a third um, it's essentially between 25 and 40% has fluctuated a little bit over the last few years. So what that's saying is that when parachute payments used to be smaller, clubs are actually bouncing back more regularly um, than, than they are today when parachute payments are bigger. So for me, the argument on competitive balance doesn't completely hold up because you're not seeing this correlation basically between parachute payments increasing and 
competitive imbalance um, in the championship. Uh, and just just the final point I'd make um, to to end my my little waffle here is on the point around distortion of the transfer market, and I think this is the real legitimate point which I which I really agree with. Um, if you look at how much championship clubs spent, um, one of the things that we can do with our models is is try and come up with an objective valuation of what a player should cost in the kind of fair, efficient global market. Um, so you can say, I don't know, player X that this championship club is trying to sign typically would sell, given his ability, given his age, given his position, whatever else, would typically sell for £5 million. What we see is that championship clubs do spend more money on players than we would expect in the kind of efficient market. And that's for both clubs that have parachute payments and clubs that don't have parachute payments. Uh, and one of the arguments that you would use to say, well, what's the reason behind clubs overpaying for players? One of the arguments would be, well, because everyone is so desperate to get into the Premier League, because everyone is so desperate to compete with parachute payment clubs, because, you know, if you're a selling club and you've got the option to sell to, uh, let's say, Norwich City this season or um, or Wickham, you know you're going to sell to Norwich because they've got a hell of a lot more revenue um, in the bank than, than Wickham do without parachute payments. Uh, or indeed any other mid-table championship club like a, a Nottingham Forest or a, a Blackburn Rovers or whoever else. Um, and I think there is there is good evidence to suggest that it does inflate transfer fees. But I think, in my view, that's where you've got to have good financial fair play regulations, which we know I think has been a real challenge in, in the championship. So that's my waffle, but but hopefully some interesting points at that. No, it's really interesting, and it sort of preempted maybe two of my sort of follow-ups. So that's all right, Omar. Um, the first was is that I was fascinated by that last, the second, the penultimate insight you gave around actually competitive balance, or rather the the, the yo-yo effect um, decreasing uh, whilst the amount of parachute payments has increased. Is there any other interesting? counterintuitives as to or, or rather reasons or drivers as to why you think that might be the case and secondly I think just while maybe you're giving that a tiny bit of thought um, I think you're totally right on the last point which is I think it's difficult to just use parachute payments in isolation without thinking about stuff like cost control and the rest because you know you as I well know that you know that sometimes those um wage to revenue ratios in the championship are ridiculously eye-watering um sometimes nearer the 200 percent mark which is just um totally crackers and which feeds into that um, um spending point that you were making but i think yeah i'd be really interested on especially any thoughts on on that cost control point but on what what those other drivers might be um apart from just money i mean maybe it's just the same point as we always say which is yes usually clubs that can spend higher amounts of wages are more likely to be successful but there's plenty of other things that go into the mix too yeah so, so i think to the first point on um you know why is it that teams are bouncing back less despite greater parachute payments i think one of the arguments and this would be an argument against parachute payments um but it's, it's a difficult one to evidence is that the fact that parachute payments are in the league drives uh, essentially slightly, um, what's the word, inefficient or random or um, irrational behaviour um, amongst all the clubs. Uh, and so what that does is it essentially randomises the the kind of types of clubs that might come up and actually you end up with fewer 
parachute payment clubs coming up over time. Whereas in the past, where clubs didn't have that much money, maybe the clubs that are in the Premier League had maybe some some level of Premier League know-how. Other clubs weren't trying to kind of break the bank in order to compete with these clubs, uh, and they had some kind of like Premier League legacy, match day revenue, commercial revenue, whatever it was, to enable them to kind of um, punch above the other clubs. Um, but but I. It's not. I must admit, as I say, that argument. I'm not really convinced by it. I think there is. I think it's just clear that there is just general inefficient spending within the championship, and that clubs that are earning, you know, significantly more money than others aren't necessarily guaranteed a higher higher place in the league. And we've seen clubs like Brentford, who you know have never had parachute payments, by all rights, probably more of a League One club, have been able to compete and reach back to back playoff finals. So. I think there is a way there for, for smart clubs. Um, and yeah, on the cost control point, I think, you know, clearly it's been a major issue. Um, you know, the, as you said, the average wages to turnover in the championship is around 100%, which means that some clubs are probably spending closer to 200%, as you said, on, um, on wages relative to turnover. Um, and, and there's loads of different schools of thought on this. Like we've, we've spoken, spoken to, spent a lot of time with championship CEOs. Um, you know, some... Some really don't like the cost controls because it's essentially a soft salary cap. Um, you know, it's basically saying you can't spend more than, than what you earn. And some ownership groups and clubs are like, well, we've got an owner who wants to spend and invest. Why, why aren't we able to? Um, and then there's all the other issues around um, the actual kind of enforcement of it, which we've seen has had loads of, loads of challenges. But I think um, I, I do... I do think there are ways. I think um, you know we've, we've chatted before, uh, about it before on the European Super League. I do think um, salary caps are an interesting um, option for um, for a league like the Championship, as in you know hard salary caps in the same way that um, League One and League Two explored before the kind of um, legal challenge. I do think that's an interesting way of kind of creating an equal ceiling for all clubs. And then it, it just goes, okay, well, yes, parachute payments have got. Uh, parachute clubs have got more money to to spend on their players, but if you're if you're smart about it and you can, or, or if you've got an investor who's willing to spend up to a certain point, then you'll be able to compete with these clubs as well, rather than being bound by your own by your own revenues. So, yeah, it's you know, the championship's a massive conundrum. Um, on the one hand, you've got a league where clubs are really kind of have financial issues and. Uh, are struggling to, to stay afloat but on the other hand you've actually got one of the most popular leagues in world football like forget second division it's one of the most popular leagues in world football and that a lot of people uh, enjoy watching it's one of the best attended leagues in world football uh, and we've seen with the playoffs just on the weekend just actually one of the most captivating leagues in world football as well so yeah I um, it's, it's it's a massive riddle to be solved the championship but I don't think my personal view is that um, parachute payments aren't the kind of thing that is the big problem in the in the championship so two last points before we um we 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 sort of head off just after um uh, 7:30 uk time um just for everybody's benefit as well the england squads come out today so we're just gonna maybe do a, a dan and omar um, provisional list of those that we don't think will make that squad and see how close we are in a couple of weeks time maybe but um in the meantime, then, just one last point on, on the parachute payment conundrum, as you say, then, is that what and if is there a counterfactual to, to parachute payments? What, what is the 
um, the we, we talked about other types of frameworks or structures in place around cost control and other things. But w- what if parachute payments weren't there? Is is that something worth considering in the round? I know you can't just put take it out and put it in a vacuum or otherwise or vice versa. But what what what's the alternative to no parachute payments? If that's the right way of saying it. Yeah, it's a really interesting argument to think about. You know, let's say you know Norwich and Watford go up this year, um, and similarly clubs like I don't know Palace, Newcastle, Brighton, uh, whoever else at the bottom end of the Premier League, they're going to be thinking, oh blimey, if we get relegated, we are absolutely screwed because we're currently earning 100 million, and um, you know if we're in the Championship, we'll be earning two to five million. Um, now the argument is to spread parachute payments more across the uh, across the championship which I get as an argument uh, although at their current size it probably wouldn't have enough to give it to all clubs to, to cushion the blow uh, so you, that does mean more distribution and, and kind of maybe going towards more of a kind of um, Bundesliga S model where you've got the two leagues combined a much more smooth revenue distribution um, but then do you lose the Premier League's competitiveness you know the 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 Premier League does have a, decent, a very good track record of, of bottom half clubs being able to beat top half clubs. So if you didn't have parachute payments and say they completely went away, I think you would have clubs at the bottom end of the league that would be petrified to spend um, money because you know it's basically a death sentence if, uh, if you're going down with the Premier League wage bills. I just think they wouldn't. Um, and I think you'd end up with a bigger gap between the top teams and the smaller teams. Uh, in the league, which um, which you know, as we've we've discussed a lot in recent weeks, is not something that that people want to be seeing. So, yeah, I, I don't know what the um, what the right solution is, but uh, I think parachute payments might be the kind of uh, best worst option, as it were. So, Omar, finally, we've got the um, thirty-three man list for England that came out, provisional squad that came out um, this afternoon. Um, I think everybody's seen the the provisional squad, so we don't necessarily need to run through the names um, as yet, although I I can do otherwise. I'm not sure whether you've got the list um, on your screen as well to be able to to go through, but maybe let you go go first. You can have first dibs on, um, on, I guess, and this is the thing, it's not what, I guess, because I've been giving this a bit of thought, it's not what you think, it's what you think Gareth will think. Um, Okay ultimately so uh, because my what I think and what Gareth thinks are a little bit different um, in a couple of roles as Liverpool fans you could probably imagine but yeah I'd be great I'd be really interested on sort of again also not necessarily just on the fan side of it in truth but on the squad makeup side of it as to how many defenders have we got how many midfielders we've got how many strikers or forward players that could obviously then bulk out particular positions and how you think the balance of that squad will be yeah, so I think um, I'm going to give a, a hat tip to Arel in our team. He's done a bit of analysis on this. You can follow him on, on Twitter. I'll, I'll retweet um, uh, some of his analysis on this that he posted, I think, last week. Um, so the the 18th you least used, or most used, I suppose, player, the third least used um, outfield player, um, doesn't even play half a game on average, gets on average 26 minutes um, in, a, uh, in a Euros or World Cup squad. Um, so, you know, we are kind of talking about players here who aren't really going to be playing and the players on the margins, um, you know, they're neither here nor there. Um, the big debate is obviously around Trent. Um, 
you know, England currently have named 12 defenders, which is probably the only, well, that and goalkeepers are the only positions you can kind of go, okay, well, that's, they're definitely defenders. Um, normally, your makeup of the squad with a 23 man squad would be um, something like a, uh, what would it be, 8 8 uh, 4, what does that get you to 20th and 3, 3 goalkeepers? Um, so, now you look at more potentially, I don't know, a nine nine five and three goalkeepers. Um, so maybe you're getting rid of three defenders. It, just by the sounds of it, it doesn't sound like Alexander Arnold will be going. And um, you know he's not always been at his best for England, which I think is fair enough. Um, so yeah, he would be my first guess. It's a big one to go with, but I, I think he'd be my first guess as not on the plane. Oh, should we do this? We're going to do this one by one, or should we? Do you, do you want to just run through all of them, and then I'll run through all of them? But yeah, yeah I, I'm no, I'm no, in agreement no. with that. I don't think I think you're right. I, unfortunately, it doesn't look like Trent's uh, going to be there. Yeah, and I think Ramsdale was up from the goalkeepers. I think um, if you're losing a couple of other defenders, uh, probably it's really tough. I think it's Ben Godfrey and and probably Ben White. Um, and then who have I who have I gotten rid of? I've gotten rid of four. Then uh, I need to get rid of three more. Uh, so I think you'll probably be Greenwood missing out, maybe Saka, and then I think I think one thing Ward Prowse has got going in his favour is that he's an unbelievable set piece taker. He might be someone you want to bring on late on in games um, you know you've got five subs as well in the tournament so it's not not the worst option to have so on that logic let's say ugh, Ollie Watkins misses out interesting yeah so we're quite aligned actually my different my only difference on that is and it's a bit of a risk just depending on whether the England player back four or back three I've I've taken Cody out instead um um yeah instead so i've got ramsdale godfrey white cody trent saka and watkins missing out um with ward prowse in yeah well it's it's been described as a as a headache for southgate but i think um it's been described partly as a headache because obviously england have got a lot of players playing in the finals of the europa league and champions league but I have to say, a few years ago, England would have killed to have this many players playing in the finals of European tournaments. So I'd say it's less a headache. Maybe it's a headache from an injury point of view, but it's it's something you know we should be celebrating because we've got players playing at the, in the highest competitions, which has always been a criticism of, or certainly in the last probably five or six years, been a criticism of English players that they haven't always been um, exposed to the, the kind of big occasions, but they certainly are now, which would be exposure out of the Euros. No, exactly. And it's interesting because, you know, ultimately, a couple of those midfielders, Lingard and Mount, could play in forward positions. Um, and in the same way, some of the forwards, Foden, Grealish and Saka, if he's in the squad, can actually play in midfield positions. So, the, and depending on, on formations or otherwise. So you've got quite a lot of fluidity, I think, in that midfield forward striker um, region. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited. England are second favourites. Uh, they were favourites, I think, a little while ago, but um, I think France got favourites now on, on Betfair. But yeah, I, I'm excited for the Euros. It'll be, I don't think it'll be a great tournament in terms of, I think the players are knackered and I think the, uh, they, uh, yeah, I think it'll be relatively low scoring the nature of the format. But it's been a while since the summer tournament, so it should be good fun. 
More football. Looking forward to it. Omar, great to chat as always, mate. Cheers, Dan. And we'll speak again in a couple of weeks. Take care. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundee Football Podcast. Like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book, Done Deal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers, and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally, and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research, and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.